Hello and welcome to a special edition of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here. I'm joined by my friend as always, Tom Jacobs. Tom, how are we doing? I'm good. How are you? You are uh, crushed by the USA's late um, late goal conceding to uh, to Wales in the penalty. So I've caught up on the sport of soccer in about, you know, a day and a half here. So I think the refs were terrible in this game. England, of course, scores six goals for you this morning before I get out of bed. Yeah. Here we are, you know, needing uh, you guys to, to crush Wales coming up here. So let's get out of group play and see what happens. But, you know, it's not just one American here. We got we got two of us on board, two big soccer fans from stateside <laughs> here. Ryan Baroff with us as well. RB, what's going on? What's up, guys? Good to be here. Yeah, this was my uh, annual spend 20 minutes trying to watch some soccer. Um, I agree that the refs were terrible. I don't know what they're supposed to look like, but uh, it, did, it did seem like uh, they missed a lot of cards and fouls. It is funny because like when they talk about, I think they spoke at the, at the time that like the ref was young and he'd only just turned 35 or something. I can't remember. They, they might have merged it. It might have been the game before because it could have merged into two things. But like I'm pretty sure they said it was like a Kasari ref that was only 35. And you think it doesn't sound young for a referee, but I guess it probably is. Like even with like American sports, it's pretty pretty young. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, England don't normally do that, so we're we're pretty bullish over here. There's probably like people lining in the streets already saying that we're going to win the win the World Cup, but we we won't, so we won't get too excited. Well, what we know that we can keep talking on and always go back to old faithful is already the DP World Tours 2022-2023 <laughs> season is upon us. We wrapped up this past week. Um, with John Rahm winning uh, the final event of the year. Congrats to you, Bear Off, on cashing that ticket. You know, we always skip those short odds, and, of course, you just find it there in your, your outright slash doubles, I'm sure you got. But um, so Rahm wins. Rory wins the season-long title, so he wins both the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour titles, uh, which is a heck of a year. Any closing statements on the season? Um, that was a fun offseason. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think it was a great year. I mean, um, I think one of the highlights is really this run of of uh, winners we've been on. Not just us winners, but I'm saying the actual winners of the <laughs> events. All these guys are in Ryder Cup consideration, right? Like, they're all starting to play well. They're all looking ahead there. You know, we'll talk about Guido, of course. But, I mean, Guido and Bob and uh, our boy Jordan Smith finally getting off the schneid after half a decade of lost bets. Um Peter's playing great, right? Thomas Dietrich playing great on our side of the pond. Like, I just think there's a lot of really good things happening and um, much deserved for uh, for Ram and Rory up top. I think, I think it's one of those things, right, that, like, it still feels a little bit wrong that, like, Rory and Ram can just contend the DP World Tour, like, fine. I mean, not so much Ram because he just won the tournament, right? But, like, Rory wins it with very limited um, golf, but that's just how the, the points are skewed for majors, right? But I think... I think, you know, and it's not been missed, right? But, like, the way Ryan Fox has performed this season, to finish second in amongst all those players, um, I still think he's probably the most improved golfer in the world. Um, I, I think you, you sort of noticed last week, and maybe it's just, a you know, an end-of-season performance or whatever, but, like, maybe when he does make the step up, he's not quite good enough. And it would have been really interesting to, to your you know, point that we sort of had off air just saying it's like, they're going to give away 10 PJ Tour cards this season, which we're assuming go to the 10 non-card holders already so it wouldn't just be the top 10 it'd be a real shame if they just did the top 10 and like if you don't get in the top 10 you don't get one yeah i think it's 10 like, cards yeah yeah it'd be For like sure. three three players or something <laughs> but like um you know so it would have been we've we got the list here it would have been ram uh moronk peters jordan smith um thriston lawrence adrian atagi rasmus hogard ewan ferguson robert mcintyre richie ramsey yannick paul which is really 
interesting list, right? There's a couple of players that you just don't expect to, to make the, the jump over to the PGA Tour. Some probably maybe wouldn't even go. They're so rooted into, you know, European Tour life. But, like, there's a couple of players like Rasmus Hoygaard, Moronk, like Fox, that could have been really interesting. So there's going to be a lot to play for in the DB World Tour next season. I still have my doubts about the strategic alliance, but the fact that you can go from Challenge Tour, DB World Tour, to PGA Tour in three seasons now is... It's pretty exciting, especially for guys that have just got through Q score as well. Like it's uh, there's a lot to play for. <clears throat> yeah, I think the last name on that list is the one that stands out to me, right? You said Yannick Paul would have been the closing card member. Um, you think almost the two routes that, that were taken in that Paul family, right? Jeremy got through qualifying school at Corn Ferry Tour the year before when Yannick did not. Yannick finds his way to the Challenge Tour. Jeremy doesn't get through on the, the Corn Ferry Tour cutoff to get it. He's got another season on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yannick could have made that jump there. So it's just going to be interesting which way these um, kind of journeymen slash also young kids coming out of school or wherever you may land, which way they pursue. Um, definitely have multiple options to get to the tour now. So excited for it. I, I agree on your point, though, Tom. Like, I still think standalone Ryan Fox, I mean, maybe one, two with Smith had the best of the DP World Tour tour years, right? And and deserving in our eyes, um, as a Mayo Media Network DP World Tour champions for us. Yeah, so we'll... I, I, I think with Smith, like, I was really impressed with him. And, and towards the end of the season, I was obviously very bullish on him. And I sort of said that, like, he's put himself into Ryder Cup consideration and things like that. But, like, I do think that what Fox did was, like, a bigger leap because Smith basically put all his best golf together and won an event, which is something he's already done, like, you know, in 2017 or whatever it was. So, like, it wasn't too out of the ordinary, whereas Fox went and just won twice, probably should have won, like, five times. Like... Um, you know, it just felt like to me like it was a completely different player. Um, but Smith, just from like a ball, ball striking perspective, is just, you know, top quality. And whereas Fox does it kind of bash, find it and plays really quickly, um, probably to his detriment sometimes. Um, Jordan Smith is, you know, precision golf. So it's definitely interesting to see how he like because you think of people like Jordan Smith and and you know, Richie Ramsey's and people like that, like, oh, if they got a PJ Tour card, they probably wouldn't do anything with it. But like. Tom Steetry has been fantastic. Bezweden, Howard and Rye have, have had good events. Like, they haven't done great, but they've kept their cards. Like, you know, Bezweden doesn't have a DP World Tour card. He doesn't have status next year because he gave it all up to go, you know, fully in on the PJ Tour. So, um, interesting note for, for this week, he probably gets it back um, yeah. you know, winning, winning at home. But, like, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. I think it's a, a different dynamic for the DP World Tour we haven't seen yet. For sure. For sure. And I think what we're here today, and, and we'll just kind of put a note is we're here to preview the rest of the year um, from the calendar year perspective, 2022. We'll be back with weekly shows in 2023, but with the calendar, with the holidays, with a little bit of everything. I mean, there's two events this week. There's two events next week, and there's a couple more to close out the year. A lot going on. We're going to do our best today to kind of cover the rest of the season by going through the challenge tour, highlighting some of our, our favorite graduates. Um, so there was 20 guys that got cards there, highlight some of our favorites. Q School, um, again, same thing there. Look into, I believe it was 27 who ended up getting cards for the season. Um, so highlight some of our favorites there. And then with the events for this week and the odds that are already out, kind of highlight some guys that we're looking at for this week and probably can pepper those, those same ones the following week. Um, and without further ado, I want to make sure you mention if you are an audio listener, you can find us on any of your podcast platforms, Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, rate, review, subscribe, goes a long way for us. We appreciate all the love you give us. Uh, so with that, let's let's dive right into the challenge tour. And I think, again, for those that are maybe not as familiar or those that kind of 
you know, are, are more betting on the PGA Tour side. Again, the Challenge Tour is the DP World Tour's version of the Corn Ferry Tour. So season-long standings, um, they're going to take the top 20 golfers on their points list and give them full, you know, DP World Tour cards. I say full, maybe it's fringe. Sometimes they're going to get cut off um, based off some of these early events or maybe the Rolex Series events that they don't play well out of the gates. But all of these guys do have ample opportunity um, to make it work. So um, I'll just tell you the top five golfers uh, from that list here. Nathan Kimsey was the, the leader on the season. Jeremy Freberhaus was second. Alexander Knapp, third. Old friend J.C. Ritchie was fourth. And Mikel Lindbergh was fifth. Surprisingly enough, I don't think any of us have these guys kind of on our short list to watch for the season. Baroff, I'm going to head to you first. Um, who kind of on this list stands out to you as guys we're interested in this season? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, you know, looking back, you realize how long the season was, right? Um, because Richie, as you mentioned, was one of the best players on that tour this year. And uh, But when you look back, he did almost all the damage early on in that South African swing and then really hasn't done anything since, right? Uh, but everything that you look at, he's sort of popping as, as you know, one of the top names. But um, yeah, you know, going down a little bit, and, and um, I think there's some guys who we saw this summer um, who popped up onto the main tour if it was, you know, the Hero or the Kazooie, those sort of middling events where the fields were weaker. Um, but the first one was Matthew Baldwin, right? And I mean, Baldwin, he's been around for a very long time. Uh, I believe he has one career win on the Challenge Tour, albeit about a decade ago. Uh, but he was consistently in the top 10 or so for those handful of, of, of starts he had this summer. Um, and obviously, a really good ball striker. He can putt, which is, you know, nice for a change. <laughs> Most of the guys that we bet over here don't putt really well. Um, but just seems very versatile. Like, he can do it on, on those link-style courses. But uh, just very consistent ball striking, which you don't normally see uh, those challenge uh, guys uh, kind of pop up. Um, so he's sort of number one. And I actually did bet him this week. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense for that course when we dive into it. The other one um, also playing this week is uh, Bryce Easton, right, from South Africa. I know a lot about Bryce Easton from playing Showdown, right? He's, he's, he's sort of one of those guys who, again, he can pop up ball strike. He makes a lot of birdies. Um, he does it in a lot of different ways, but he scores. He makes birdies. Um, he has not won, I don't believe, anything, any professional event. So um, I think that's maybe the next logical step for him. But those are a couple of, of, I'll call them the bottom, the bottom feeders, who I like. Uh, what about you, Tom? I think for me, like, just, just looking at those top five and why we've kind of chose to skip them, I guess, is Nathan Kimsey is a player that's been here before, right? So he got, he turned professional in 2013, spent two years on Challenge Tour, didn't really do a lot, dropped down to the Europro Tour. But he actually got through every single stage of Q school. So 14 rounds of golf um, in 2017 to get to the 2018 rookie tour season. Um, finished his top 10 at the Qatar Masters and the PJ Championship in Australia, um, but but fell back down to the Challenge Tour. So it depends how you look at it, right? Because he had a he had a pretty impressive, um, you know, like amateur career in the sense that like he'd played on the Walker Cup. He he. Um, you know, as part of the victorious team at the European Amateur Team Championship for England, he he'd played, he'd won in Florida, he'd won the St Andrews Links, or finished runner up at St Andrews Links. Like he was, he was a very decent player, and it might be that it's just taken him a long time. He's now gone on one, two times on the Challenge Tour uh, in a year, July and November. Like again, one of those players that he beat was was obviously Bryce Easton at the Challenge Tour final. He beat Scary Seagrass, who was a fellow graduate. Like maybe it's time that he just shows his talent. 
Um, but when you look at kind of the others, I mean, Jeremy Fryberhouse, interestingly enough, Sky was the one I think we brought up at like one of the events early in the season, maybe um, the European Masters because he sort of played there before. But Alexander Knapp, like he's been here before. Mikael Lindbergh's been here before. JC Ritchie's interesting because I think there is another level to him, but I think he's a guy that very much needs to take advantage of these early South African events to, to shape his season. So that would be my quick kind of hit on the top five guys there. But for me, my, my favourite players that have come from here, Oliver Hunderville Jorgensen was really impressive. I think it was at the Hero Open, um, you know, Ryan, as you spoke about earlier, that he played well in. But he finished fifth, and that was the event where Crocker beat Pepperell. Uh, he shot a 67 on that Sunday, which I think was the best score of anyone in the top five as well. So really, really impressive stuff. He won three times on the Nordic Gold League. Or you know, or he won. Sorry, he won on the Nordic Golf League once, I think, in 2019. But he was still an amateur. Um, so the fact that he's done all that, you know, in, in a short space of time, suggests to me that he's got another level to him. Um, so I think Oliver Hunderboy Jorgensen could be, you know, really impressive. But um, yeah, as I say, it was one win, not three wins. Sorry, on, on the Nordic Golf League. But he also lost in the playoff to Christian Crow Johansson, who again I think is another one that we should probably be keeping an eye on. That. Crow Johansson is, um, he's been a bit of a late bloomer. I think it's probably fair to say, like he's 27, 28 years of age. Um, but he seems to be like he could be the more consistent type this season. Uh, when you think about like what we thought maybe Gouvier would be and things like that, I think he could fit that mould. Um, so those are the two guys I think we can probably rely on the most. I think uh, Hunderbar Jorgensen's got the highest upside and, and Chris, Christian, Christian Crow Johansson has got uh, probably the solid uh, level about him. Yep, I'm definitely excited for those. From a standpoint, statistically, this is one thing where I think the Corn Ferry Tour has an advantage for us, at least following it, um, is it has at least basic stats, right? Yeah. You, you have greens and regulation, you have driving distance, you have you know scrambling, you have stuff where you can have a profile of guys, you know, got to do like a that big preview of the KFT grads with Ryan French. And we knew basically how these guys' games was. Some of these guys that have popped up, we get a, a four round stroke gain sample, which is more than enough for bear off to, to be able to, you know, kind of define a couple of guys, but, but, you know, we truly don't know. Like I, I didn't know Yannick's game going into last season. Right. You know, you didn't really understand some of these guys is how, how they actually play. So because the challenge for is just scores. So when we do look at pure scores, we've talked about this website before in the past tour tips is something where kind of does a good adjustment um, on it overall. And I look at the past season, these, this was their top five um, of the grads. When I looked at the entire season there, JC Ritchie was number one, um, which makes sense kind of as profile, what the season was. Crow Johansson was two. Matthew Baldwin was three. One that we bet on a huge stretch uh, during the summer. I don't even know if we cashed a top five because his Sundays were so bad, but Jens Dantorp was all over our betting cards for he a was. month there. <laughs> and he was like 28 to one in DP world tour events at a time, right? Like yeah. he got low and then Sorday would be fifth on that list. Now three golfers that I really wanted to just at least pop into. And I'm one that we have seen for a good amount of time. Uh, I say good amount of time. At least he's kind of been uh, popping up on the DP world tour uh, a bit. Here's Daniel Hillier. So he was 24 years old. We saw him twice or four times, I guess, this season. He made all four cuts on the DP World Tour season, including two top 12s. Um, he had won on the Challenge Tour. Uh, and his last Challenge Tour events were first, fourth, 11th. Um, 
64th, 23rd. Like he had a decent season. It wasn't anything crazy, but we've seen him pop. And from his amateur career is where we really know him. He had a third place in 2019 or 2021 on the DP World Tour. Amateur career, I believe he was like a like 17. He was a three-time winner. 16, he was a two-time winner. Um, and then he came out and he kind of cut his teeth on the Japan Tour. Uh, I think it was in a couple starts over there in Australia too, because he is Australian. Uh, so it popped around until he kind of got a home on the challenge tour. Now we're finally going to get to see him for a full season. He's the first one that I think makes a ton of sense. And another one who had a um, really good stretch of golf on the, the DP World Tour, or I mean the, the challenge tour, before he fell off. Freddie Scott had a stretch where he finished inside the top five in six of nine events last summer. And then he completely fell off the map. He did not have a single top 30 since then. So you do wonder. And a guy like that, I guess there is the um, battlefield promotion, right? If you win three times, then you get to the DP World Tour. Or does, like, Scott just kick back? Like, it's hard to know, like, his game as a full. Uh, but, like, he had it locked up at that point. He did play twice in the DP World Tour and didn't do too much with it. Uh, but he was a winner on the Pro Golf Tour the year prior. I just think his stretch of golf was really good at one point. Um, and I'm intrigued to see that. And I'm going to hit one last one. Before I need to catch my breath. And I'm intrigued this week a little bit too. So we've seen um, golfers from South Africa just consistently come out, right? We have these really big AMs that are good. Of course, we have a multiple on the, the PGA Tour, multiple on the DP World Tour. Like they are littered. And one of those top amateurs, uh, you know, back in 18 and 17, um, I believe were his last two years as amateurs, yep, was Dion Germahives. And, and Germahives was inc- like his, if you look at his 2018, I mean, he was top 10 in about 75% of his events as an amateur that year, um, being the South African amateur champion. So he's going to get a chance to, to play, um, you know, in South Africa these next two weeks. He did um, get on the Sunshine Tour. That's kind of where he originally started before he popped over to the Challenge Tour. He was a winner on the Sunshine Tour this year. So I don't know. I just think that makes sense. He popped over the the DP World Tour to play those events earlier this year. Now with a full year under his belt Challenge Tour, I think he's got a lot of upside. I know our friend Brad Todd likes him uh, as well. So that's always a good sign too. But that covers probably anybody that I'm intrigued off at the top uh, of the list here. I know that was a lot of talking for us. Uh, anybody I, else that we so missed? I think I think just going back to Freddie Scott a little bit, or Freddie Shot a little bit, was the fact that like what I do now to to figure out how old people are, I kind of look at my birth year because uh, I consider myself old now. So I look at my birth <laughs> year and work myself back. So like now I'm the the big 30s coming up for me. I kind of go right, okay, so. If he's five years younger than me, he's still pretty young. Freddie Shot was born in tw- uh, 2001. So, like, you know, he's a 21-year-old. So I think the fact that he kind of got hot and then went away isn't too much of a big deal for him. I think, like, the, you, you kind of look at what he did in that short space of time and realise he's a, a really high talent. Tom McKibben, for me, is is the one. Like, we, we talked about him a lot last season. I think I was trying to sort of trying to bet him at 400 to 1 and kind of make him a thing, and it, and it wasn't. But, like... Everyone kind of talks about the fact that he came from Holywood, which is uh, Rory McIlroy's home golf course. You know, he he nearly won the Irish uh, Challenge events, and to me, like he 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 genuinely looks like I don't think necessarily a superstar, but he's just someone that's like really young, really talented. Um, you know, two of his four best finishes, interestingly, you know, looking at this swing season or whatever you want to call it, two of his four best finishes in the OWGR came in South Africa. So I feel like he could make an early impact, and that could have a, a lasting effect. When you look. 
fourth and sixth his last two starts. We had a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a seventh in the season as well. So Tom McKibben to me was just incredibly solid. Like when we were talking about him earlier in the season, we were like, okay, he's got a bit of upside. He's shot a 65 here and there. And now it's like, well, actually, no, he's put together real events and, and real, you know, four round stretches. So to me, Tom McKibben, he, he did everything but win last season. Uh, I do like um, what what Ryan said about um, you know Bryce Easton. I think there's a, you know another level to him as well, uh, which will probably come on a bit to later um, when we talk about picks for Joburg Open. I guess John Jong Ko is pretty young, the, the French player. Um, he, he's probably got a little bit of upside as well. But to me, it felt like the Challenge Tour was littered with these guys that do kind of fritter between the two tours and. Even even at the Q score, which can come on to now, like there's a similar type of players as well. So you, I think you really have to pick through the vines and see who's actually got upside and who's just been there before and is like to go back down again. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you could you could pick through this, and I mean, the thing is, we don't we're, we're previewing the next what five six weeks here, just walking through. We're going to come in with a, probably a little bit more of a knowledge on all these as we approach the season. Now yeah. we start off with Rolex series events, right? So not all of these guys are going to be able to get into them, but we're going to be able to have some time to diagnose what we think of these guys. And if you're early on them, it's probably the best time to chase some good numbers, right? Um, if you're correct. Um, and you know, I mean, you think of what Thriston Lawrence did from winning a 36 hole event, but he probably would have won a 72 hole event. Um, and you know, to the season that he had, he would have been on the PGA tour, right? Like that's, he was a sunshine tour player to the PGA tour player in that short amount of time. So pretty incredible to know um, that now Q school, um, you said it earlier, Tom. So it is um, no different than for those that are familiar with the corn Ferry uh, tour Q school. So you're starting with first stage into, which was like, I think like 12 different stages into maybe eight into four second round stages into one final stage. Um, top 25 in ties were the ones that graduated on to uh, the DP World Tour. Now, you're going to see some of these guys that were 26 through 50, you know, still get starts depending on where they qualify. Some are going to pop down to the Challenge Tour based off of that. Um, now, we haven't had Q School 18. I think it was 18. Um, and I probably had it in 19. 19, but, yeah. So why I think so big at Q School is we had two – two-time winners in one season graduate from Q school. And that was Hitiyama and Guido came out of the same Q school class. So now we have a little bit more at the time. I mean, I didn't really know anything about these guys, right? We, it was more of the wild west of golf four or five years ago where you couldn't really figure out what's going on with a lot of these guys, but you know, quickly Kitayama won. I think it was a second start, right? Guido took a little bit longer, but there's, ample opportunity for all of these guys to compete um the top five um in uh the standings for q school and the q school final round is six or final stage is six rounds so it's a, it's a good test of golf for them um simone forstrom would have been finishing first david rivetto and daniel brown in second kirdash afi barnrett alejandro del rey and nick bacham um, tied up there in the top five um, now, again, so we had 28 graduates in total um, for this. I'm going to do the same thing, Baroff. i um, pass it over to you. Who are some of the guys that stand out for you that graduated from Q School? Yeah, well, I think obviously Barnrash one that stands out, but I'll let you dive into him. Um, but for me, the first one there was uh, Daniel Brown, who we talked about kind of quickly off air. I, I also bet him this week for the Joburg Open. Um, he's another guy, you know, he came off the, I think it was the Euro Pro Tour, whatever that one's called. Um, also never won, right? But he's been close, has a ton of runner-ups. Um, wasn't 
really doing much this year at all until the last month and a half, uh, where then he went uh, 8th, 2nd, 11th, 16th, 10th. Um, and that 10th was in the their, uh, what's it called, the Rolex Grand Final, right? Yeah. I don't know if you saw what he did that week. <laughs> he opened 78-77, <laughs> shot a Saturday 65, a Sunday 64, then went to Q School, shot six rounds in the 60s and finished third. So he's on some kind of a heater. I'm going to ride it at 101. He probably figured like something that. out. But um, I, I think that was one that sort of stood out. And then just in terms of guys who I know and I bet, uh, Joel Stalter, um, who won um, he won in Austria a handful of years ago when all of us were probably just starting this wonderful gambling habit that we have. <laughs> um, he's just, uh, yeah, he's a good ball striker, kind of like a, a mini Jauch Lauten mold in terms of he gets a lot of fairways, pretty accurate. Um, he can putt well when he gets hot, but more of like an iron player. Um, and he played over in the States. I'm, I'm drawing a blank as, as, as to where he played college golf, but um, I just like that model. Like I like these Euro guys who come over here, play college golf, win. Um, class never goes away, right? So he's one of the, the veterans who I'll be looking at this year. He played at California Cal- Golden Cal- Bear. Oh, that's right. He was part of that. Yeah, that squad. I remember. Interestingly, beat Richard Mansell. What could have been different if Richard Mansell had won that event? I imagine. Um, but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I think I think with people like Joe Stalter, right? Like I don't necessarily focus on him because he's a guy that I classes. He's been here before, and you know what's he going to do with this time around? It was different to last time. But he's still only 30 years of age, and at least he did win like on the Challenge Tour. Like you know, the, one of them was a co-sanctioned event with the European Tour, and, and one was an outright Challenge Tour win. So. Like, at least he's won. He then played on the French tour, which I didn't even know was a thing um, as well. So that was pretty impressive. But, like, he, to me, like, he's won. Like, when you look at some of the older people, I mean, there's going to be guys. Like, let's, I'm just going to go kind of through some names that, like, we're pretty familiar with. You've already mentioned Afi Barmrat, Pedro Figueredo. I think you, you'll love to talk about uh, Sky at some point. But he's a guy that's been there before. Lorenzo Vera, we know about. Marcel Seam, definitely know about at this point. Um, Gary Stowe is someone that's, interesting enough, was a, was a very good player at one point. Um, Gary Portius, Adrian Sadio. So there's actually a lot of French uh, representation um, from the Q score of players that have already been there in the past. So um, what you make of those guys returning, I don't know. Um, it's hard to really decide whether they're kind of going to be good players and i mean that gary gary Stow is the guy that won the abu dhabi event that kind of i think led by kind of like five or six shots and and blew away uh in 2015 so i think it was Kaima. but anyway he beat he beat roy McIlroy by one stroke so he's got some pedigree gary style but like it it just feels like to me like it's been a long time he's been in the wilderness yeah it's a it's a range of names right i think um maybe in the past we might have seen like different OWGR or at least starts. I mean, there is one golfer out of the 28 that have graduated that had less than like 20 rounds played on the OWGR events on the season. There was two golfers at 22 um, rounds played and everybody else was like 44 and up. So like we aren't just getting amateurs or guys that, you know, even from some of the lower tours. I mean, we definitely got a, a, little bit of recycling of some of the guys that were, were just on that edge. I'm very happy Lorenzo Vera kept his card because I, I feel like he was close towards the end of the season, and I'm definitely keeping uh, a tight eye there. Barn Rat, a little odd that he landed on the DP World Tour. Wouldn't feel like he would be that guy, um, but, you know, excited. We know he can go low, but I think there is some of these guys that we can dig into. 
I wanted to give a quick shout out. Um, and I was going to ask you, Baroff, we might have to have Wiley investigate this guy. Um, <laughs> Gun- Gunner Weeb. Yeah, I was going to yeah. mention that. Gunner, Gunner Weeb. So 30, like he, he's the one that has four rounds, okay? And yeah. why I say ask Wiley on it is he played in the Barbasol this year and made the cut. It was his only event of the season. Now, he played one event in 2021. He missed a cut on the Corn Ferry Tour, and he hadn't played an OWGR event since 2017 prior to that. Now, the thing is, 33 years old, so I do a little Googling. He is, like, an assistant pro or, like, um, definitely a clubhouse, like, like guy. And I think he might be from out west. So I don't his know. Dad is, Monday I assume his dad is Mark Weeby, who was a, a tour pro many moons ago. Okay, that would make um, sense. He looks like he's a California guy. I just don't I know think how, he, maybe he played he, at he played at Sorry Pines, I think, is when I, when I looked at the OWGR stuff earlier. I think it was first start, so he must have got in there as some sort of exemption, which makes sense if he's a you know a, a California touring pro of some description that he got in that. Yeah, way. it looks like Mark Weeby is his dad, so at least it is in the genes. Um, yeah, he did so. He did Monday qualify for the Barbasol this year, uh, and he was a Monday qualifier in. Um, the KFT event looks like he Monday qualified. Um, he went to University of San Yeah, it was just that's, that's a pretty cool story, right? To have, I mean, yeah. I don't know if the opportunity is different because his dad was a tour player, right? But somebody 33 years old who's never really had status. Yeah, he's anywhere. not young. No. Um, so getting through that's that's pretty cool there. So I thought that would be a shout out. Um, and the fact that he did make the cut on a PGA Tour event too, right? Like, yeah, that's uh. Pretty wild. So he was one that I thought was interesting. So if I went through my list, I liked Brown. Um, Tom, actually, I'll have you dive into both these golfers. I know they were on your list. You liked um, – I think we we agree, and I think the OWGR would definitely agree too. Rio Histatune would be probably the, the best golfer that graduated from the Challenge Tour. Do you have kind of any notes on him? Yeah, so for me, like I was just looking, like he had three wins on what is the equivalent of the of the Challenge Tour in Japan. So the Japanese Challenge Tour is called like something like a Beaver TV Tour or something like that. Um, so that was obviously pretty, you know, the fact that he's only 20 years old now, he must have been 19, 20 when he was winning those three events. He shot a final round 61, his turn did uh, earlier this year on the Japanese Tour to lose by one in the final day, which was really impressive. What really caught my eye on top of that was the fact that he had three uh, fourth place finishes a seventh and two more top nine so it's a really consistent um, effort from him all season in Japan but he also finished 12th at the Zozo and like I know that it's a limited field and but like there was legitimately good players in that field and, and to finish 12th among that is is pretty impressive when you're riding a good uh, you know stretch of form so that I thought was was to me he looks like if I'm talking about guys that just have the biggest upside I think he's probably it like I think we talk about people like Takumi Kanaya and things like that, like the, the breakthrough. I mean, this is pro- I don't think it's quite on the same length, but weren't we talking about Tom Kim in a similar vein like last year? I know it was kind of like that was Asian tour as opposed to Japan tour. Maybe it's a little bit more limited, but you look at like what I'm always surprised about these Japanese events. Like they're like they're Japanese, like how they finish in the Japan tour events actually ranks higher sometimes than like a 12th at the Zozo. Like you think if he's like finishing second, third, fourth, fifth or in Japan, it actually ranked lower than Zozo, but not, it's not always the case. So their strength of field must be pretty decent. Um, so for me, I, th- I don't think he's going to be Tom Kim, but like it's, it feels like he's the type of person that could really have a go at the, the DP World Tour. Like we see it like Kitayama. Like I think they're probably just a little bit better than this level, but not quite ready for the PJ Tour. And it just 
pins and like whereas Tom Kim just went straight on, his two might need a couple of years to do it. Um, interesting enough, your your note on on the American gonna weeb. There was one more American in Joshua Lee that that also got a card as well. So don't know too much about him. Couldn't find too much about him either. But um, those are the two Americans. So yeah, maybe definitely the next Kurikiyama in there somewhere, right? Maybe, for yeah. Sure. So I think that would be really impressive. Um, but yeah, Hisatoon for me is is definitely the the main player. I think from this from this um, Q school class. You know, I do find it interesting that you know Tom Kim played what six, seven, eight PGA Tour events. Won two of them. He played one DP World Tour event last year. He missed the cut, right? Yeah. So what's yeah. what's the tougher tour? You know, yeah, it's yeah. hard to say. No, exactly. Really it's overall, just <laughs> it's you would have thought like Richard Mansell would just go and win on the PGA Tour next season. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I think Hissatune, yeah, he, he's the one. That, it's such a good get for the DP World Tour to have him. The other one um, that I think is very intriguing um, from a pure talent perspective, and I feel like also he's – the reason why, you know, having Bear off on the show is great because it doesn't take much to convince him to, to get a bet on some of these guys <laughs> at, at low odds. We try to get access on here. You know, it's, it's pulling teeth to get access to, to leave the numbers. And he's, he's a slave to him, and he's great with the numbers. That's the thing. And it's tough to, to really be able to evaluate these guys without too much of a sample on the same level. So I totally understand it. But one guy that I've definitely ripped some long shot bets on in the Porsche European Open was Nick Bacham. And it's because as an amateur, um, he was very, very strong. I believe, uh, you know, he comes in. Like, uh, I think he was a German national amateur in like 18 or, or, or 19 um, when he played over there. And then he came out and he was one of those guys that found instant success in the pro golf tour. He was a winner as an amateur there. He was a winner um, in 2021 there twice. But every time he popped up to the, the DP World Tour, you know, he missed a cut by a mile. Um, so he finally gets a year on the Challenge Tour. And honestly, I think he ended up. 25th yeah 25th on the list there so didn't qualify via that shows up with a great performance at the dp uh q school so i think that's overall just a a talented guy that's now got through um q school that i i think extremely high of him too yeah i'm sorry i was gonna say i think uh we kind of glossed over someone who who may well i guess not the most brand recognition but in terms of uh, sort of the punters we didn't mention christopher bring did we no, we did not. University yet. of Texas, um, pretty good amateur. I know that he won. Um, oh, was it the European amateur, Tom, that he won when he beat Aberg and David Puig and yeah. all those guys? So, and uh, he obviously just got through Q school, shot a 61 in the fourth round, 65. So, um, I think it's just a name to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, he he did really well in the Nordic Golf. We're looking through it. I mean, he popped up in the DP World Tour for two starts this year. One of them was a uh, 22nd place finish. Yeah, and he won that European Am just in 21. So I think it's a, a definite um, name there. I have a few more. I think that was his only win as well. Like, so it's a pretty mm-hmm. pretty significant win to get. Um, you know, out, you know, out of nowhere. I don't think he played too much to uh, European uh, college golf, if I'm right, but. He, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't get any wins, so that's kind of stood out to me that he won that without much previous success. I'll quickly run through guys that I thought um, were a little bit interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned Brown off the top. I think that was a really good one, RB. Um, when you look at the winner of Q School, Simone Forstrom, um, he is 33 years old, was decent on the Challenge Tour, but anytime he was down in the Nordic Golf League, he pretty much would pencil in a top five for him there. He had a really strong uh, season that year. And really, I mean, previous times, um, 
for him, like this is by far the best year he has ever had as professional. He was a winner on the challenge tour uh, back in 16, but um, he definitely had a really good season in the Nordic golf league and to win Q school at the scores that he did um, was, was definitely impressive. I'm a sucker for John Axelson. Um, he won two of the last three Nordic golf league events this past season did honestly nothing on the challenge tour when he popped up there. Um, but if you remember in 2021, he had won at the Himmerling course um, in a Nordic Golf League event. And then the next week he finished 17th while like losing a million strokes on the green. So he is somebody, I mean, all you need to do is ball strike in the, the one event and, and Bear Off and I are definitely going to be betting on you. We're in. Um, and he's got so, the great Denmark flag, which is, you know, it's, yeah, it's like catnip to us. Combo. Yes. I, feel, I feel like I feel like what you're saying here is Baroff is reckless narcissism, which is not a not a, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just about sample size. Axis <laughs> wants you know a very large long term sample size. I care. Hey, what did you do on the back nine Sunday? That's enough. Yeah, but both of them hot fire this fall. Um, I'm gonna go a couple more. Tobias Eden. Um, he was somebody who just had uh, a decent stretch um, again on the Nordic Golf League. He was somebody I'm trying to think, was it as an amateur? No, he was just a Nordic golf league um, guy. I think he went to s- school in the state, somewhere in the Pac-12 um, is where Eden went to school. Um, he, who else? Oh, Gary, did you someone mention Gary Hurley earlier? Um, uh, no, I but highlighted. He, I just had him as one oh, of those guys. Oh, I know why. I think he, did he qualify for the Open Championship? No, he was in that bunch of golfers um, that played really well on the Alps Tour as well. That's what looking through his season. Oh, he had a fifth like on the Irish Challenge. This year, the Challenge Tour when he popped up. So again, one of these guys that when you only have samples on the smaller tours, it's it's hard to know, right? Like the Guido example, like you, you just don't really know when they're if they don't have a Challenge Tour year and maybe just a couple of starts there. That was just just something that, you know, guys that I I at least saw a little pop. And the one that I brought up, um, and again, four Challenge Tour starts this past season, two of them inside the top six. A little bit of a journeyman, right? Sam Hutsby, Tom, um, don't know a bunch about him. 34 years, but he he like took two years off, so he didn't have any events. So I don't know, um, is this Challenge Tour success real? Um, Is this just somebody that, is just going to fall by the wayside because he was a DP world tour member, you know, back in like 14, 15 at time frame. Yeah. I mean, he, he turned pro in 2009 played the Alfred Dunhill links, um, got to the qualifying school and finished second behind Simon Khan to get his European tour card in 2010. Um, he lost his playing rights just by one spot, which is you know pretty tough. Um, and then he finished 48th on the challenge tour rankings next year. Um, just again, he, he finished second behind David Dixon again in qualifying school. So in 2012, he then got to the European Tour again. He's just been a bit of a journeyman. Like he did beat uh, Andrew Beef Johnston at the Kazakhstan Open in 2014. So he's got like winning pedigree, I guess. Um, he was sixth on the world, you know, world amateur rankings before he turned pro. He played in the Walker Cup, which you always like to see. Um, so like, there's something there. Like it's just, and I think I think the trouble is like, I've kind of put them in a list of like okay if you've been here before and not done it i'm just gonna not discount you but i'm just not gonna get excited about you because but by the same token of that like we've probably learned not to give up on golfers too quickly because it it does come back to bite you like i think players do just all of a sudden turn out to be really good i mean like daniel brown like he's just caught fire but you know it's taken a little while to get there 
Um, it, it, it just depends. Like Laurie Kanza, like a late bloomer, for example, like it, um, it, it just happens. Like it, it just it just happens all the time where we think people are not. Bale Whitnell, for example, has had a very decent DP yeah. World Tour season, like, but had done nothing for you know for a period of time by his own admission. Um, I do want to just pump the the tyres and Nick Backham a bit more again. So it was actually three wins he had as an amateur on the Pro Golf Tour because he had one in 2020, uh, 2020 as well. Um, and he opened with 76 at the Q School final before then making it and then finishing sixth. So like just the bounce back ability was amazing. Um, and then he finished second, third, fifth and seventh on the Challenge Tour last season. So I think of when I think of him and Tom McKibben, they just seem to me like they're like they did everything but win on the Challenge Tour last season. I think because they didn't get that win, they don't. They don't go up high on the list. They don't automatically get their cards, etc. Like they kind of get forgotten about a little bit, and they're just that little bit younger as well. So for me, Nick Packham is, if you know, if um, hits the tune is, is one A, he's one B. I think maybe not even one two. That's why I had um, Eden circled. So um, because you mentioned Bacham shot seventy six in the first round, so did Tobias Eden. So right. seventy six, then he goes sixty eight. Then he went 61 in round three when the other best round of the day was 64. So, you know, that the ability to go 68, 61, 67, 66, 69 after opening with a 76, um, him back up like that. I think that was in the other 61 that was shot during Q school. Um, so Bacham had the other one. And then there was three of them. Christopher Bring, to, to bear off's point, had one um, there too. So definitely things to note. I would also be remiss. We mentioned uh, Tom McKibben on um, the Challenge Tour grads. We do also see John Murphy uh, yeah. getting through uh, qualifying school. So he was part of that Walker Cup team too. So I think uh, not as strong as take on, but I often kind of loop those two uh, in together when I think about that team. I, I get the feeling that Bradley Todd's are going to win a lot or lose a lot on John Murphy this season because he, <laughs> he does like He usually it. wins a lot. So. Yeah, so yes, let's, that's let's, true. Let's, let's probably follow John Murphy. Um, he he was, I think he actually got in on the last hole. He's definitely wasn't, he was definitely the last person in with his card. Um, so shows a little bit of determination. I think he played at Pebble this season. Um, like he's got some invites and stuff. So I think he's pretty well kind of respected and you know that people are expecting more from him so i definitely think it's like a you know i sort of said to you at the start that like it's a, a bit of a average list and there's a few journeymen in there but when you actually start to break it down a little bit more like we have like even like you know like Rivetto, like i looked into him from france i think i think the one thing i would take away from this is how many french people have managed to get their cards either through Cus or through the challenge store like it seems to be a lot of french golfers kind of bouncing back and the one overriding thing i think is just how many kind of like it's not i keep calling it i keep putting nordic in the same same breath but it's not always nordic it's a bit like denmark norway sweden all that kind of area um i don't know if it's just like because of the pro golf tour and the nordic golf league whether they're just such good mini tour levels that like it does help them sharpen iron before they get to the challenge tour that might help them for sure no i'm excited and i think um we can transition two ways we can go there's the two events this week right with the australia and the south africa event but there is also golfers who, of course, maintain standard status in the DP World Tour. Um, and maybe it transitions into this, but I think it was kind of fun if we um, previewed, like I said, 10 golfers outside of card holding guys are going to make the PGA Tour at the end of the season there. How about a hot take on one golfer? It can be somebody from qualifying school, it can be somebody from challenge tour, it could be just a standard golfer uh, who kept, or kept status. Um, that um, you think has a shot or can finish in the top 10 
next year. I've gone to bear off everything first. Tom, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I was hoping you were going to go to bear off again. Um, <laughs> let, let's, let, let's have a look. I think that's not really a hot take, is it? Let's have a look at a bit further down. So there's a couple of players. I, I would say Marshall Schneider's got a, a really high upside. So I think he's someone that could kind of put some really good rounds together. Um, Sean Crocker, I think if he can kind of get, he fell off a lot after that, that one win, which bothered me a little bit because I think he's, I don't know if he kind of rested on his laurels a little bit, um, which was, was a bit of a shame because or whether he just lost form like that happens as well. So those two golfers would be someone that, that I would definitely look at. Um, I think of the people we're mentioning, like, I don't see why Hitsatoon or, or Backham can't, you know, kind of contend for those. So I think if you wanted two from people that are going to graduate, it'd be those two. If you wanted two that could surprise, I think Schneider um, or Crocker could could really earn a PJ Tour card. Because I, th- I think it would change people's perceptions. I think that, like, when you're Sean Crocker and you win an event that he won, wasn't, you know, worth that much in terms of world rankings, wasn't worth that much in terms of anything really, um, other than, you know, proving that you can do it. When you know that it actually can contribute to a PJ Tour card at the end of the season, I think it's almost a complete switch in mentality. So I think we might see, I don't know if I'll say a better standard of the DP World Tour next season, but I just feel like there'd be people more committed. Like, I think we've seen, and I wonder, you know, maybe you guys have got an opinion on this, but like, we've seen in the fall on the PGA Tour that like they've been won by better players this time around. And I think it's because of the, the extra incentives they come with. They get more FedEx Cup points. They get basically all of the events are getting you into the Masters now, whereas they never used to. Like they're all worth a bit more money than they used to be. Is is that enough to kind of boost people? And I think that's why you see people turning up and why people play better now. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think there's a lot of uncertainty, right? So you're going to play your best as much as you can. Um, I'm just glad you didn't take my hot take here because this is uh, <laughs> this is one of your guys. But it goes back to um, my overall sort of theme here, right? Class never goes away. So uh, there is a Challenge Tour winner, multiple DP World Tour winner, has won in the stage, great amateur career, kind of came back to life this summer for you, Tom. Your namesake, Tom Lewis. Uh, yeah. I think he's going to continue to kind of get back to where he was. Um and I think as we've seen with Lewis, you know, he can do it a lot of different ways. I mean, he almost won in Memphis at, at the World Golf Championship, right? Um, he's long enough off the tee, great iron player, really good putter, especially relative to all these other guys. Um, I imagine with all the time he had off, there was some sort of injury that he was dealing with. I'm not sure what it was, but um, I was very encouraged by what he did this summer. And um, I think uh, I think you'll see him hopefully threaten that top 10 next year. I think it just depends on his starts, right? Like, because it, it, his how much status has he got? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure where he finished. I know I just kind of looking stat wise. You know, he was top 20 in the season long stuff, and you know, yeah. first game approach, tee to green. Um, and I assume as a multiple time winner, he's got some status. That's yeah, like he, he'll, he'll definitely get in more events than like he let, like because I remember him doing an interview like saying like if he didn't keep his card, he changed jobs. Like it was a bit of a joke, but he will get into <laughs> events. Like he's playing in Australia, I think this week. So yeah, uh, like I think he's someone definitely Ryan. Like if he gets off to a, a hot start, he's the type of person just talent alone, um, yeah. right? He's going to get probably a PJ Tour. I guess in that same mold, like. Is Alex Fitzpatrick like he was? The, what was he like? The the devil of the of the Corn Ferry Q School. Everyone hated him because he kind of got that exemption in. Which when you read about it, it sounds like he probably actually I don't want to say deserved it, but 
it feels like he got shafted out of it in the first place from the PGA Tour U. So, um, you know, as much as people want to sort of lump on him and the fact that his just name was Fitzpatrick. But I do think he's the type of guy that can make use of limited starts and probably get himself a first full sort of status on the European Tour, DP World Tour, and then up to the PGA Tour. I like it. All right, I'm going to go pretty off the board here too. And it's because, Tom, you sparked my memory with this golfer recently. And I'm trying to understand status a little bit here. So, I mean, so category 19 is Tom Lewis, which is the 125 to 126 to 145 of the DP World Tour. So it falls below um, those that got through Q school and stuff. But I, I do think no matter the case, any golfer that comes out hot this fall, you're going to find a way to get starts, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So Bearoff mentioned, um, you know, Tom Lewis had those, you know, victories on um, kind of a little bit of everywhere. I believe this golfer's last win, let's see, would have been a two-time winner in 2016, back-to-back weeks on the, the European Tour, a winner in Qatar the next year, and he is still only 27 years old. And it's Junhyung Wang is mm. back. He's playing in Australia this week. And what's interesting, so Jun Wang uh, is Korean, so he had to take his military service in order um, to continue to then jump back to his professional career. So Wang comes back from the first time since October of 2020, and he plays four events on the Asian tour. He played in the, all those international series events where he finishes 22nd, 5th, 23rd, and T3. Now, the, the crazy thing is they haven't really forgot about him when it comes to the books. I believe he's like 50 to 1. I'm pretty um, sure he's only 33 to 1 over here for, for yeah. Australia. So, yeah, I've seen a 50s early. So, I mean, he just came out of the gates firing once again. I mean, we've seen it with, like, I believe Sean Hill, no, um, or yeah. who else, right? And there was another guy that did military service on the PGA Tour. Sang, Sang Bay won yes. the yes. Tour, didn't he? Um, so, I mean, of course it's, it's a huge derailment to, to a career that was so promising. Um, I guess derailment's the wrong word. It's a huge, um, it's obviously like a, a big, uh, it, it is it's a like, big, it, like, it is a derailment. Like it does, yeah. it does just completely, like you saw how much it meant to Sung Jm and Siwoo Kim and stuff for the Olympics. Like they're petrified of losing that like tour status. And, you know, I think it was Kenny Kim that made a good point that like, they're probably the people you should target for live because like at least they'll get some security. Like they they've they cash some money because we only see their 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 careers going one way. And you know, you point to what Jung Hong Wang's done since he came back is, is really impressive. And I did notice like, I was just surprised and it triggered my mind because of the fact that I'd mentioned him the other day and then I sort of saw him on the odds board. But when I think about uh he won the Mauritius Open and uh you know Qatar as well I feel like that's somewhere that Kirk Kisiyama's played well Kirk Kisiyama's won the Mauritius Open maybe there's a a little bit to that so um it would be really interesting to see how he does I think that like talent wise when you win 2016 2016 2017 you're obviously very good is is the first thing that you need to say at the time right he'd also won um on the PGA Tour China in in 2014 by 10 strokes against Xinjiang Zhang, who I think did play on the PGA Tour for a decent amount of time yeah. as well. So um, he turned pro in 2012 and then, you know, won four times in, in you know, 2016, 2017, got as high as 39th in the world. You know, that's pretty impressive for someone that's still only 27 and, and been in that wilderness for, for a while. So when you see people 
I guess you liken it to like an injury. Like you see people that, that you know, are out for two years or, you know, a year and a half or they have checkered starts because they're injured. I, I always talk about like, I don't think he's ever coming back, but like Jimmy Walker and the Lyme disease thing, like, you know, when, when people's like performances only dip because of things they can't control, it's definitely interesting to see how they bounce back. Yeah, 100%. So he's one of the pops now from golfers that, you know, from that are more standard DP world tour holders. You know, I'm shocked if Guido's not top 10, of course, you know, he's got himself all lined up to have a big season. No need to push it to end this year when you got cards next year. But I guess another old faith was, I really do think one of the more underrated, I don't know. I mean, like Sandy Valamaki had a good year. Like it was better than people give him credit for, I feel like. And it took a little time for him to get that back. But I still think Sammy's, like I put him in like the Crocker mold, right? Like I feel like the peak Sammy he's just is wild, man. Great. He's, he's he's so wild off the tee. <laughs> yeah, you his, don't need you don't need accuracy on the field. He, get, he gets yeah. he gets wacky back and murky for a reason, doesn't he? But yeah. like yeah, what's more important here, Sky, is is we need to pool our resources here and hire the putting coach who fixed Grio and send him to Antoine Rosner, and yes. then we can oh, yeah. all just collect every single week because. I don't know what Grio did, right? But he is now a good putter, a great putter, mm-hmm. almost. Um, and if Rosberg just has a fraction of that, you know, um, he's going to be absolutely elite. Yeah, I would, he, I would, he would say be on the Ryder Cup. Is yeah. Rosner probably the guy? I guess maybe with Jordan Smith that, like, in terms of ball striking, just appeals the most to the PJ Tour. Like from a, you know, from guys that just likes to dig into strokes gain data, like they're going to be the two that you would target on the PJ Tour straight away. If, if they got starts right um you know unlike yeah. fox and hoy guards and stuff who you know rank highly off the tee but don't generally put all of them together like rosner does everything but putt like it just to me he's probably upside wise he's probably the best player without i don't know i don't know how to explain it because i guess when you, you can't putt then you know you're, you're not are you it's but the like, keegan bradley thing right yeah and, yeah and he's still got his wins he won on the challenge tour multiple times He's obviously one on on the main tour now, and it's just it's it's, a, it's not going to happen often when you can't putt. But the, the thing is, like Rosner, when he won, was making putts from everywhere. Like the the couple of times that he won, like he he you know was he was just making bombs, and like it, it's to me, it's almost one of those like he can make them from fifty feet and can't make them from three. But yeah. you know, I, I guess for me, if, if I was to have a player that I think could have a real breakout party, I, I'm going to ride this Gavin Green train for for a pretty yeah. long time. Like I think. I think he's is coming. The win is coming for him, and you know, then then we see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I think Gavin Green's got definitely things ahead of him. So you know, like Data Golf does a good job at kind of weighing that strokes gained across the the rest of the world, right? And they have Rosner, like the thirtieth best approach player in the world. Um, they have Jordan Smith, twenty second. When you look at just pure ball striking overall. Um, if I kept going down to uh, the next DP World Tour golfer, I would really run into is far down that list. Uh, Peter's 52nd. Um, and you keep going. Uh, Burmeister, I guess he's now, you know, PGA Tour guy. Rosner would be 71st. He'd be one after uh, Burmeister. So, I mean, there's a couple of live guys sprinkled in there. But, yeah, you look at the the clear one, two in ball striking. And uh, I guess one, two, three would be Peter Smith and, and Rosner, in my opinion, of these guys. And we know what the upside um, of, of the other two can be. Um, we've gone deep into the show now here. I think we'll we'll just step into both of the events. Now, we're not going to go through 
an entire preview of both of them. Um, we're just going to kind of highlight guys that we like. Uh, I think I'm, I'm excited about both of them, but uh, we'll start in Australia. How about so Australia has Cam, it has Adam Scott, it has Cam Davis. I guess so Cam Smith I'm referring to. It has Cam Davis, it has Adam Scott, it has Lucas Herbert, Ryan Fox uh, as kind of their, their core four. Leishman is, is teeing it up um, there too. Um, and then from a DP World Tour side, you have Hoygaard, Minwuli, Maroc. Uh, also playing. Uh, I guess both the, the Hoy guards are playing, but that's really it. I mean, these things are, I say, wide open when you have probably the second or third best player in the world there. But like, I don't know. It's it's right for the taking for long shots, and that's what we're gonna maybe be going into. So Australia, Tom. I know you got a bet at the top of the board actually. So Tom, why don't you talk first here in Australia? I mean, look, I think when you when you look at the the event itself. So I'll, I'll start in 2013. Adam Scott beats Ricky Fowler. Greg Chalmers beats Wade Ormsby and Adam Scott in a playoff. Nathan Holman beats Dylan Fratelli and Harold Varner. Harold Varner wins. Then Cameron Smith, Cameron Smith, Adam Scott, Jediah Morgan. Right. So. Um, to me, you've heard Adam Scott's name there a few times, and there's a couple of things. One, I just think he plays unbelievably well when he's at home. Like, it, it's just a joke. I mean, when you look at um, his efforts here, uh, he's won twice, finished second, third, and fourth in his last five starts at this event. So he just turns it on. The, the other thing I quite like is the fact that Steve Williams is back on the bag um, for the next couple of events in Australia. Now, does that matter too much? I think so, because I think it's like a... If he wants, if Steve Williams is going to step out of retirement to take your bag and they're going to do it again for the majors next year because they're going back to a couple of venues they've played by that in the past, it feels like he's got a renewed sense of confidence in Scott. Scott's maybe taking it a little bit more seriously. Like, I think he views it as like, this is my last chance saloon to be really great. I've obviously, he's probably turned down Liv, I guess. Um, so he, he's now given it one last shot to, to win a major championship. I think his big thing is being a two-time major winner. Um, having Steve Williams on the bag is going to help. So I think he gets his uh, season. I don't know. I don't know what you call it this time of year. I guess getting his season off to the best start is is what I would call it because it is a new season. But um, you know, you then get kind of a four or five week break before Adam Scott plays. It's it's tough. So I, I do think Adam Scott will go well. I know he's in like nine to one, so it's it's kind of out of form for me, but I like him. Is is there any uh, reason why three six five pulled their odds? Um, they're no longer up. They were up early this morning with. I just didn't see if any big guy withdrew or anything. There's still states books that are up with them, so there must be repricing it in the morning. It's um, kind of yeah. Odd. They probably they realized really they gave me too good of a Minwoo Lee number. Oh, I mean that could be it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I also looked at Adam Scott. Um, it's it's kind of interesting, you know. It's uh, you know, quote unquote, homecoming for him, but he doesn't live here anymore, right? I believe he no. lives in Switzerland now. Yeah. Um, probably doesn't get back here much. And I, I just feel like that. I feel like for him, it's the end of the season, right? So you referenced starting his season off. He, I'm sure he's bringing the family down. I'm sure it's a whole vacation, right? It's there's probably more to it than that. Um, but kind of like what we saw with the studs last week, I expect all these guys to play well. Like I expect Cam Smith and Cam Davis and Minwoo and Mar- I, I expect them all to play well. Um, I think you're kind of splitting hairs up here. I went with Minwoo Lee just because I'm tired of hopping off of guys too early. Um, yeah. And I'll do it at the Joburg with Xander Lombard, sort of same thing. Like I've been betting these guys for a while. Minwoo, you know, specifically has been trending towards a win, right? He's got a couple of top fives, played pretty well again last week. Um, it just feels like it's coming. And uh, this course where you can hit drivers and be a little more creative, um, I think will suit him really well. Now, this isn't the – he won in Australia at the other other course, right? Yeah. 
that's when you won like 99% of a prize pool that, that <laughs> DraftKings offered when you had like the Fox Min Woo nuts basically that week. But those courses like fit those guys mm-hmm. to a T. Min Lee's been third and fourth in two starts in this event. Like I think is is basically what like you have to take from it. Like it was yeah. a lot it was a lot weaker field in um January. So they played mm-hmm. this event already in January at this golf course. So I'll come on to that kind of a bit more in my in my next selection. But the fact that you finished third here in, in twenty twenty kind of shows you I guess probably what it means to him, how comfortable he feels um, but you look like Cameron Smith's won it twice over the last three or four years. Adam Scott's won it twice over the last five years. Um, you know, Jeff Ogilvie's won it in whatever the last 10 years. Like the, the better players win it. Greg Chalmers drops down for the PJ Tour, wins it a couple of times. So the, the better players do win it. So I know you can. I think in terms of long shots, you can get them for kind of like top five in each way value. But I think you do have to kind of take a player from the top of the board. But I think that goes down right from four to one Sky to like twenty two to one if Adrian Moronk. Like you've got Smith, Scott, Mimu Lee, Fox, Davis, Hoygaard, Herbert, um, Lucas Herbert, Mark Leishman, Adrian Moronk. Like that's a, a pretty steady list of golfers. And I think the people that I'd be the people that I'm not betting that I'd be really keen to see how they do, one was Mimu Lee, the other one would be Ryan Fox and, and Rasmus Hoygaard. Like it as I said about Fox earlier, like this I, I think this is good enough field to prove how good you are like if if one of those beats cameron smith or adam scott down the stretch then that's a big deal if they beat cameron davis even down the stretch as a pj tour player like it's a big deal um whereas if they kind of just beat each other um as they do do on the dpr tour it's not kind of a big thing so i think for it's a big opportunity for someone like a resmus Hoyard. I have I don't really have my selections I guess finalized so I'll still post a card every week throughout the the fall because I can't help it but um, you know I, I I'm more intrigued as I kind of go down a little bit now uh, one finish this year that'll stand out to me that I'll kick myself for um, I don't even know what he ended up it was a week we don't won so I don't I don't even know where this guy finished but remember when Paul Barnyan popped over to the the DP World mm-hmm. Tour out of zero form. Yeah, and shows up there at triple digits and, and is right in the mix. I feel it's kind of odd that Harrison Endicott is like 70s, so, 80s. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's got two top 10, 12s on the PGA Tour this fall. You know, like, I'm just not going to forget those guys this year. Like, it's just something at, out of principle that if you're a PGA Tour player and you're finishing, like, with decent finishes, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm in on that when the numbers – that's why I bet Kiviyama and Herbert have the time because I feel like they, they have these, you know, flashes there. So I, he was one that stood out. Um, two Australian tour winners um, that I think really highly of the headstrong amateur careers. Uh, and this is where, like, our friend Jude just lives. Like, this is – if you need to follow somebody, follow our Jude Deloitte. He's just, like, salivating for these type of weeks. And he's been on David Michaluzzi for as long as I know. And Michaluzzi finally got his first win um, recently there. Uh, Michaluzzi was a stud amateur. He's somebody um, who we just follow closely on. He popped up for the Alfred Dunhill Lynx, finished 36, but had an excellent year uh, overall there. So he won. Um, and then another golfer who got his first win, who I used to bet on the Australian Tour quite a bit, he actually got a spot live start, I believe. Uh, three of them. Travis Smith is a pretty like decent golfer. I think overall excellent head of hair, too. He's got a nice uh, blonde man bun, uh, but he is somebody who finished third at the Vic Open uh, back in 2020 um, when we used to have kind of those events, 15th at the Australian PGA Championship in 19. I think he's talented. Um, and then I have three 
amateurs. No surprise. Um, I'll go to you too. guys. Um, I'll go to you guys. And anybody else you're intrigued at here? So, so for me, like Hisatune's there at fifty to one. I I did look at uh, Endicott because of the, the reasons you said, but when I looked at kind of like his form in this event, it was like pretty nondescript. But things definitely changed. It's definitely a, like a has he gone to a new level like you learn that pretty quickly if he plays well this week against when he's finished 40 50th and missed cut whatever in this event before then you know he's a different player now and something to keep an eye on um but i've gone to jadiah morgan like i don't really see the reason to ignore the person that won this event earlier in january by 11 strokes um i get that he's a guy that's gone to live i get that he's 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 beaten up on a, a pretty poor field that time in january he beat andrew dope by 11 strokes but he won by 11 strokes shooting a 69 in the final round. So he shot 65, 63, 65. He beat Mimu Lee by 13 strokes. Mimu Lee was in there like fifth. Um, and that's not a knock on Mimu Lee. It's just like a, a for context, right? Uh, he won the Australian Amateur. beat Tom McKim in five and three in the final. Um, so I think... You know, that guy... the Australian Amateur was was at this course too. Right. So he's a two-time winner on this golf course then. Yes. Yep. He beat McKibben that week in the finals here. I mean, sign me up. I don't really need to say any more then. So, like, he, he, like, I get the whole live thing. I get the whole giving up. But didn't he, like, he won the Order of Merit at the PJ Tour Australasia as well? Like, yeah. It's pretty impressive. I mean, he's like, sure. I, I, I bet him too, man. He's like 90 to 1 at some books, like, with an each way. Over it's a, it's, a, per, it's like, a perfect thing of, like, people. He finished the lift season kind of good, too. Did like that's what I mean. Like he played decent golf. He, you know, again, we don't know what the context of decent golf is on live, but you know, we can't rule out some people based on like we're going to say Cameron Smith's playing well because he's playing okay on live. Like so, and he's four to one. I know he's not anywhere near the same type of golfer, but if Jadai Morgan is what people expect him to be, he's probably going to be a PGA Tour golfer, and he's sixty-six to one on a course he's won on twice. I'll just take a chance. It's also definitely viewed differently there. Um, and maybe, I mean, I probably view it differently for Judd Morgan versus somebody else, right? Like, you jump on that opportunity if you're Janiah Morgan. Like, 100%. But, like, you just, you just like, take advantage of a hot form. The Australasia Tour was tweeting all about Cam on Sunday, how they broke a Guinness Book of World Records for the largest golf clinic ever, right? Like, it's a celebration for, for some of these guys. And, and they're it's not like they're feeling at odds at a major as like people let out. You know what I mean? Like, this is a standard golf event for these guys. There's no different pressures. Uh, RB, anybody else for you here? Just Daniel Hillier. Uh, we mentioned him earlier, so I need to dive back in. But he was 66 to one with the places, and uh, he's been playing well. So why not? One thing about Hillier, I did note um, on the Challenge Tour grads, he had the highest uh, like go low rate, basically. Um, Love it. Of, Love like it. he was like eight percent of his rounds were like three strokes adjusted under. Like it was it was like really strong. Um, so okay, amateur time. Um, so. The thing is, um, it's just kind of odd. I don't know how Devin Bling ended up playing PGA Tour of Australia. Arby, you brought this, I think, to my attention when you saw him in the field list, right? Like, he is out of... I don't know where he's been. Like, that was the thing. Like, he he finished school um, in spring, right? I think he hasn't played a... Yeah, since May, he has not played an amateur event. So then he pops over, and he only had played two um, in uh 2020 as a whole if you remember Devin Bling he's the one that lost to Victor Havel at the US Am finals at Pebble Beach I think he was a he had to have been a freshman right I think it was mm-hmm. um very early went to UCLA um 
So then he comes out in his first event, first ever OWGR event, uh, and finishes, I think, 26th um, in, yeah, the Victorian. So he finished, he had two amateur events. So he must have, like, left UCLA after he had a really strong 2021. Uh, so he's, like, 200s, like, here, you know. So, I mean, you look at somebody who reached top 30 in the Wagger, I believe, 34th was his best ranking. So he was one. Um Luis Dablabar was another one. Um, so he, let me see, he reached a high world ranking as well. He reached 23rd um, in, in the Wagger rankings. Um, his last event was 2023. He won the North and South Amateur Championship, um, which is a, a decent one. I mean, he beat like Highsmith there, who's strong uh, on there. Jediah Morgan, he beat in that event uh, overall. So it's not the, the really big stateside one, but he had... Um, some pedigree there. He tried to qualify for Q school uh, on the corn Ferry tour side and did not make it through. Um, but he had a really like one of the best rounds of the entire tournament um, there too, but he's just played on the PGA tour uh, of Australasia there. He had a handful of top 10 finishes this season. Just always intrigued at an amateur, you know, he had three wins in 21. So he's still kind of getting his feet under him. And then the total, like, I think this guy's probably five hundreds. Um, Let's see. How high did this guy get? Lachlan Barker is his name. He was 337 in the Wagger. So nothing that was too crazy there. But again, he's he's one of these golfers that just went amateur. Uh, and then he's going into immediate uh, kind of OWGR events and with a little bit of success. So he finished fourth last week uh, in the Australasia event. Uh, he had a made cup before that. And I never understand this. If you ever played on the PGA Tour of Australasia site, there's like four tours within their own ecosystem. Only one of them gets the OWGR points. But Barker finished like second in one of those um, the week prior. So his last two events are, are really strong. Um, and he's 500. They priced, they priced the other ones okay. There's another amateur in South Africa I get to talk about too. But those were basically... Uh, oh, Daniel Gale was another one. Tom, do you know anything about Daniel Gale? Um, uh, no. <laughs> if, I, if I said I would, I'd be a fraud. What about Harrison Crow? I thought that was one that you would. Uh... Oh, Jude, Jude said something about Crow today to me. So I don't know much about Crow. No, I just know that he just won that that Asia Pacific Amateur. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah. And there were some some names that I recognized in there. Ratchanong's in there. Winnie Dean was in there. A few other guys, but um, I just know that he won something recently. Yeah, you're right. That that's a that's a really good. The Asia Pacific Amateur is a really good one. So he played mm -hmm. on the Japan Open and had missed. He wasn't really that good an amateur, but Jude definitely did like him. Daniel Gao is another Australian who finished top five last week. He had Monday qualified into the 3M Open and missed the cut uh, recently too. So just some some world travelers overall there. But I could spend way too much time talking. We have to go to South Africa. <clears throat> um, okay, I'm gonna start with Bear off this time. Yep. So sort of the same strategy, uh, guys that I've uh, been on, I'm going to stay on uh, Lawrence, uh, 18 to one and Xander Lombard at 40. And then uh, a couple of the challenge tour guys that we talked about already. I bet Matthew Baldwin, um, Bryce Easton and Daniel Brown. I love the Brown bet. I really do. It was 100 to one. I was that same, that same big for a guy who's on an all time career heater right now. So. Yes. Amen. Um, Tom, you're actually, I'm going to pepper a couple in here because I'm going to have to catch my breath before I go deep again. <laughs> um, 
So I liked Brown a lot, 100% the point there. Um, we're going to talk with two um, Sunshine Tour players. One that anytime he is teeing up in the world, I am always paying attention to Jaden Tracekeeper, right? Like he came out of the scene at like 19 years old and was out here finishing second at the Alfred Dunhill Championship. He probably should have won that event. I think he led the field tee to green and kind of melted on the back nine a little bit. Uh, he was 20th the week prior. Uh, but he was a really, again, when you look, if you look at his 2019, I think he was primarily a junior that year. He had nine victories um, in 2019 overall, um, 2018, you know, just kind of as he got going with it. But like, again, just probably the prized amateur kind of coming up through there, had a six at the South African Open in 2020. Uh, and the thing is, he's coming in probably the best form that we had seen out of him. He did not find any success in the Challenge Tour but on the Sunshine Tour, last five weeks, ninth, sixth, second, seventeenth, tenth, lost in a playoff at the Fortress Invitational. Um, he it was his home course, and he lost there. Um, so I think he's probably in the fifties. I think odds wise, so they definitely like priced him correctly um, from that standpoint. Um, the other one, can I get an odds check on Peter Moolman? He won last week. I believe, or two, he won his last time out. He might be deeper than we need to talk about now. Um, but Peter Moomin won second stage of Q School. Um, and then he's 66 is over here. So, okay, ready to talk about that. He um, won second stage of Q School in the DP World Tour and won his last time out on the DP or on the, the Sunshine Tour. Strong finishes. Um, made top 25 at the Stein City Championship earlier this year on the DP World Tour. Older guy, 33 years or 31 years old uh, from that. But those two um, are kind of my earlier, shorter selections. And I have three more after you talk, Tom. Yeah, so for me, like, I'm, I'm the same as, as Baroff here with, with Xander Lombard. Like he's twice a runner up at this event. Um, we, we know he can kind of break through. He hasn't. Uh, five top three finishes on the DP World Tour. Two of them are coming this event. Another one's coming to the Alfred Dunhill Championship in South Africa as well. So clearly loves playing at home. Uh, like RB again, Bryce Easton uh, went into the Grand Tour final with three top eight finishes in his last six starts and then finished second there. So I just love the form that he's coming into. Um, he's got three Sunshine Tour wins in his career. I never view these events as much of a step up from the Sunshine Tour. Like I know... Um, there are better players in the event, but you're playing at home, so I think it kind of negates it a little bit. He was 14th in this event on debut, bounced back of a 7th in 2020 before finishing 23rd in the 36th hole event last year. So Bryce Easton, for me, really did catch the eye. And I've just gone with Tom McKibben, just on just on upside alone, like 4th and 6th his last two events, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th and 7th on the season. As I said earlier, he's played four, you know, two of his four best finishes on the OWGR have come in South Africa for Tom McKibben as well. So to me, he just strikes me as someone that really is overpriced. Um, and I will pass on, because this isn't really my note, I kind of read it from Ben Coley's um, piece earlier today, that like uh, Tristan Strydon is, is a, you know, he played well at the Q school here. I think he's actually got the course record at this golf course. So not many people have got um, experience here. Uh, he did pop up quite a few times in, in South Africa in the past as well. Um, he has his first pro win coming to South Africa Tour Championship when he beat Kozir, Harding and Nineaver at another Nicholas design course as well. Um, so to me, like the points that, um, you know, Ben made there and the fact that he's got the house and goal club experience makes Tristan Stryden an interesting player as well. Yeah, I think he had two events from Mike Miller's sheet here, a first and a third at um, here. Skaber played in that event and finished 10th to... 
Um, all right, I got three more. I'm just gonna rip the bandaid as we go through a couple more. They fit the exact mold, right? Like, um, so one, I might need another odds check here as we go because 365 at this guy, like I couldn't, I expected to be 500 to one and I'm trying to see here. Let's see where he's priced. 125. Gerard Pepler. I mean, like I've been going through. Either have I. Either have I. So I like when I came across his name in research, it was like pretty odd that like he's he's not on data golf at all. So if, if think, you if you use odds checker, he goes from sixty five to one all the way up to two hundred to one. So he's uh yeah. He's so he he basically range. why he has three wins on the Big Easy Tour in his last one, two, three, four starts on the Big Easy Tour. He went first, third, first, and first. Now he popped over to the Sunshine Tour was thirty six and thirty eight in the middle of that. So I mean he's just ripping up Ernie's tour down over there. So who knows, right? Like I, we don't know anything about. Like I, I literally couldn't find much at all um, outside of that on him, like an age check or anything um, for him overall. But let's see, can I see if we? I think his first OWG. Now he must be play, He's been playing the Big Easy Tour I think for a couple of years. Um, yeah, since 2018, he's been playing on the Big Easy Tour. Um, so I don't know. I mean, three three victories at his last four events is pretty strong um, overall for for me to take an interest there. Um, and then Casey Jarvis um, is somebody who kind of had fit that same mold of Jaden Scaper, where he was one of these top amateurs, right? Reached reached excuse me 40th um, when he went pro. Um, I think he went pro or mid this year. Uh, and he is now, since he has gone pro, he finally got into a shot. His last time out, he finished second um, on the PJ Champs. I believe he lost to Katsia um, on the Sunshine Tour there. He had made a cut in the Alfred Dunhill Links. He had won on the Big Easy Tour earlier this year, uh, but finally found a little bit of success in the Sunshine Tour after having um, a, a really, really strong amateur career. Jarvis odds, uh, I'm guessing he's probably sitting around 100 as well. Um, Tom, you got to look there. I have so many tabs open at this point. Casey Jarvis is uh, 150 at DraftKings Sportsbook, 200 elsewhere, so good prices. Okay, yep. And then the last one, and probably the one I'm most excited about, um, Dan Bradbury. So uh, Dan Bradbury, uh, I believe he's English, Tom. Um, 201 on DraftKings Sportsbook. Okay, so he comes out of, I think he was like Division II Player of the Year a couple of years back, transfers to Florida State uh, his senior year, has a decent senior year um, there, and then he gets a couple of starts after. So I think he had, I don't know, a handful of top tens, uh, made the stroke play, um, and then, like, yeah, he was just a really, really good um, Division II player um, overall. And then he comes out and gets some starts. He misses the cut in the kazoo. He makes three cuts in a row on the Challenge Tour, one being inside the top 20, and then he plays the Open Day Espana and finishes 13th. Um, so, again, small sample size. I think he bonded off the tee and could putt it well um, in that event from a strokes gain perspective. But um, those kind of three young guys fit my – well, I guess Scaper's young too. But, like, those guys kind of catch my eye. i got to really look through the odds and kind of uh, dig to the tea leaves to see who I'll end up landing on. Probably all of them, of course. But um... <laughs> I uh, just just one more before we kind of get out. So I don't know if we were doing the show at this point. It was the tail end of 2020, so I don't think we were. 
but Jack Blau was second. Uh, he was leading this event at the 36 hole stage in 2020, and I was on him at I don't know, like 100 to one or 80 to one or something like that, just because of the fact that he played well in this event in the past. So he's got two seventh place finishes here: 2016, 2020. Uh, obviously, different golf courses, and then he finished 23rd when it was a 36 hole event last year. So you don't know kind of where he's gone up or down the leaderboard. He's priced at 400 to one, like he's never going to be able to play golf again, and that to me seems a bit off. Uh, that's a DraftKings sportsbook. So I think it's pretty impressive. Um, just looking at his recent events, like he finished 23rd last time out. It's not uh, 21st, sorry. It's not great. Um, you know, he, he was well off the pace of. He was 11 off the pace of George Cozier, who beat Casey Chavis. But, you know, 32nd and 21st, his last two starts, he's got a ninth midway through the year. Like, it's not like he's actually dead, like he's priced. So, uh, look for Jack Blau. Oh, do not tempt Bear off with that. I certainly <laughs> lost money on, on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I right. could see you nodding away, which meant that yeah. you um, I mean, it's a marathon show, right? We're running running deep here, well over an hour, but... Again, this is kind of putting a bow on the calendar year for us. And this is a good way to look out for guys um, as they have some starts on the DP World Tour um, as they finish here. A lot of opportunity now. These fields are definitely more top-heavy than what we've seen. We didn't really talk in South Africa, but, you know, you have Bazaino, you have Kutsia. Arby mentioned he's on Thriston there. Becker's teeing it up. Duplessis, Langosk are the top guys here. JC Ritchie coming up. Kellen Shores 33-1 to 1 in some spots, right? It's definitely not as top-heavy in South Africa as we see in Australia, so maybe we, we tend a little bit more long shots there. But we have seen guys contend from many different tours right away on this. So I don't know. I, I, I love this, this type of thing. It's just a lot to do a weekly show right now uh, with everything going on. But definitely still posting cards. Tom, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so it's Tom Jacobs 93 on Twitter. Um, I, I will probably take a little bit of a break just from from the golf at the moment, just you know while the World Cup's on, and you know just trying to get it. It's it's good to rest and recuperate and get get love back for it. So um, I've really enjoyed tonight. Like this was this was a, I know we kind of talked about this as kind of a week or two in the making. Like we just really enjoyed the idea of doing this, and, and unfortunately we didn't have access on it to make it a four man show. But like it was you know it was really good to have the three of us chat this up. So. Um, I, I would say, like you said there, just in South Africa is probably the best place to take um, some long shots because I think they can be beaten at the top. Like they've had long seasons, they're traveling over in the PGA Tour, etc. And, you know, we, we talked about Backham, Shot, Jorgensen, all of those guys are kind of in the 125, 150s, 175s, one marks that, you know, two or three events in, they could be 50 to one. So um, I, I think it's definitely a place to take some shots. But that would be my closing statement. Yep. RB, where we can find you at? Yep, same, Arbera427. Um, probably won't take a break from Twitter, but, but we'll see. <laughs> um, and yeah, I assume uh, Wally and I will be back in, in the new year. We usually kick off things around Torrey Pines time, you know, uh, when the fields get better and, and sort of the real season starts. But yeah, like you said, I, I love this time of year, right? It's it's the fall swing corn fairy tour guys who are making their marks and uh, these guys jumping up uh, kind of off, off the challenge tour. So excited to watch some golf for sure. Yep, 100%. We should actually... I haven't seen them launched yet, but because there's not any PGA Tour golf to be competing with, better prize pools than we normally get um, on DraftKings. So I'm excited to, to play DFS for these events because you can get some low-owned guys across the board um, for it. Now you'll see Tom and I back in January. I think the first event of the year is that little match play that they're doing, that Hero Cup. Uh, but we'll have back-to-back Rolex events in uh, Abu Dhabi in Dubai to close out January. But you can find me at Skyhook DFS. 
Um, and thanks, Ryan, for coming on tonight. Thanks, Tom, as always, for a great year. It's been a blast with this. We're excited uh, for Guido to get a PGA Tour card next year and the rest of these guys to, to come through with us. Hopefully, our next season is full of winners, um, and we appreciate all your guys' support, and we'll catch you in the new year. Happy holidays, and thanks again for everything.